Welcome to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C, the academic entrepreneur. Some of the most successful stories in business started from failure, sometimes even multiple failures. The guests on our program have faced failure, learned to understand it, and have used it to their advantage. You can too. Get ready for success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Cheryl Lentz. And welcome back. It is terrific to see everyone this morning. We are looking forward to having you with us for another show of looking at the idea of failure. As I was flying home last night, I was able to be part of the election, uh, specifically in Las Vegas. I was thinking quite candidly about this idea of failure as a permanent state of mind. One of the candidates in their um, consolation speech and thank you speech was making an interesting comparison to be able to look at things you expect because many had slam dunk expectations and things didn't quite go as expected last night in many races and it was very interesting to look at the efforts that people put through and again the idea of success through failure or failure through success depending on how you're looking at it to be able to go forward and look at the idea what does failure teach us For all of the candidates in these midterm elections who did not meet victory, what are they going to look at as they're debriefing, as they're looking forward, what happened, what they're going to learn for it, and how they go forward? Because I've talked to some of the candidates, both winning and and those who did not take home the prize, and it was a surprise either way. Some candidates were, oh my gosh, there was no way I was going to win, and the tables turned, which is why the whole point is you've got to get out and vote, and you've got to have your voice as part of the process, and my point in talking with one of the can- candidates, and she had thought she had failed. And I said, "Fail is failure is the way you measure things. And if you're measuring failure as the ability that you didn't win the election today, that could be one way of looking at failure. I looked at failure as having the courage to run in the first place. For my students and former graduates who are listening, you know that I have a very big phrase, and I will censor it here, is if you don't vote, you can't complain about it. You have to be in part of the far, part of the fight. If you don't, you can't win the lottery if you don't buy a ticket. You can't score if you don't shoot. And I was so amazed at her courage to simply put up with some of the negative ads, the humiliation, the innuendo, the just horribleness in some of these really negative campaign ads. There's just no nice ways to say this. And if we go back to the very first ad that was ever created, it goes back to Lyndon B. Johnson in the 1960s. And for those of you who are of the age or more, you will remember the Daisy ad. And that Daisy ad was the first time anyone had ever put anything negative on the airways. And for cinematography, it was fantastic because it was the in the eyeball of the little girl, you could see the mushroom cloud of nuclear holocaust. And that was the first time ever that negative ads hit the airwave. And Lyndon B. Johnson won the election by 22%. And when do we talk about leadership here? We're going to be talking to one of our guests today, who is Linda Patton, the founder of Dare to Lead Leadership Training Center. She's going to talk to us about some of these leadership strategies. Is Think about the idea that we've talked before, negative leadership works, at least short term. And the idea is they needed to, they, the candidates who were running for office, who chose to use these black hat tactics, go back to the leadership shown by Lyndon B. Johnson, who was leading by example. And they showed a interesting tactic 
that was able to change and persuade the minds of the voters to go their direction. And we've been using it in this country ever since, which is why when she thought of failure, I thought of success going, how many of us will not put ourselves in that line of fire? I saw the pieces that her opponent put out on her and many of the other ads. Matter of fact, I stopped watching TV because I went to the election. I had voted absentee almost a month ago. And so those ads didn't touch me anymore, even though I was annoyed with them. I don't want to hear about them. Even the sense of innuendo, whether it was true or not, made no difference because the reality is perception. And so people were looking at, can I persuade you in the moment, short term, so that you will vote for me because I have a better story than my opponent. And what gets me is, as a professional researcher, I'm all about results. I would love to have a research study of how many of those campaign promises that were made have been kept. How many of these politicians who the biggest joke is what does a politician want? Another term. And are they willing to be Machiavellian, use any means in which to get, which is what tells me the black hat. And I look at this idea as how many of these candidates actually ran a clean campaign? And how many candidates like myself and others will choose not to run because I'm not made of Teflon? I am, don't have as strong as an ego. I would have been in the corner taking everything said about me personally and being completely unprofessional with crying about it because it was hurtful. It was mean. It was mean-spirited and nasty and intended to be that way. Simply to force failure in the conversation to make sure that somebody didn't win at all costs. And so my question is, what kind of candidate are these people going to me, me, be when they assume office, based on the behavior, we see them. And it seems that the more contentious the race, the nastier the behavior was. Is this really the type of leadership we want? But you will have a campaign manager that will tell you, but it works. To cause failure by negative advertising, is this really what we want to say in society? And the fact is, since 1960, we showed that these tactics work. And so that's why I refer to is failure is not supposed to be a permanent state of mind because this is only a temporary. Most of the airs, the ads in the air only started about six weeks ago. And now most people are, oh my gosh, thank God it's over. We don't have to listen to all the who did what and who was uh, inappropriate. And the fact that the journalistic integrity in this country doesn't actually exist when you're looking at the fact that it doesn't even have to be true. It just has to be possible. And people will believe it enough to either vote for someone or more likely to vote against someone else. And so we look at this idea is that she really, this candidate who lost, really thought she failed. And I couldn't be more pleased with the fact that she was willing to put herself in the fight, expose herself to all this nastiness, this in, uh, impugning her integrity above all things, simply to win a race because she felt the calling to make a difference. And that's where this failure comes forward for us is the ability to We know we want to change the world. The question is, can we stick with it long enough to have that opportunity? And the answer is, I don't know. We've talked about these failure stories. You know, Formula 409, it took only 409 different variations of failure to get to success. The light bulb, 997, uh, the idea of WD-40. How many of us give up way too soon? How many of us would never try to begin with? And I will admit that right now I have absolutely no interest in politics, not because I don't think it could make a difference, because I don't have the courage to stand up in the ring and have people say things about me that may not even be true and by strangers who've not even met me yet to look at that idea. And that's where I'm thinking is failure is a state of mind. Some of those politicians, they're so Teflon that they don't even notice it. 
They have such a hard skin. They accept the rules of the game and they just move forward. But my question is, is that really leadership? Remember, even Hitler was an effective leader. Notice the words I'm using. He wasn't a good leader. He wasn't a moral leader. He led by coercion. coercion. He led by fear. He led by intimidation. He led by threats. He led by fear out violence. But he was effective. He got millions of people to do atrocities that have not yet been rivaled in history, save maybe the acts of 9-11 and now things that terrorists are now doing only in recent years. But this is something that I cannot believe that we tolerate this in society. It's one thing to be able to look at moving forward to make a difference. But if we lead by example, is this the example we want to lead by? To have negative ads about people we might not have even met. And the fact that some of this stuff isn't even true, but it's the fact that it could be true. And I teach a lot of ethics class. And we always tell people that the reason people go to court is because they want a third party to determine who's right or wrong. And voting determines if you believe or not believe the ads that you're seeing, because by votes, by sheer victory, will allow that person entrance into this club, whether they're sitting for the school board or they're sitting for the president of the United States. It's a process. It's a, we have to go through this because most of these uh, officials are not appointed positions, they're elected positions. But the question I still have as we look at that is these negative Failure to success stories. I ran a horrible campaign, but I won the election. Really? Is that the kind of leader you want to be? That tomorrow you're going to be slinging mud and then the next day you're going to give them hugs and going, great, as long as I won, I'm happy. Welcome to the club. And No, that's why we don't haze. In, I'm a sorority girl. We don't do hazing in there because you don't want to humiliate someone the day before and then welcome into your club the next day. But that's exactly what we did with elections. We offered people that the only way for me to get your attention to change your behavior is to show how rotten someone else is instead of showing how much better of a candidate I am. Two sides of the same coin, right? This is the ability to say, well, do you, why do we have to make somebody else look bad in order for us to feel better by ourselves? Why does only negative advertising work? Why does it take smear campaigns to be able to really decimate someone's um, integrity and the reputation in order for you to make yourself feel better and get elected. I just have a hard time with this, which is why I don't think I would ever have the brass to run. I don't want to have people look at what I can't do or take issues with what I've done that they don't agree with or maybe they've just made up and then have the ability the next day to say, oh, well, congratulations. Yeah, that doesn't work for me. If you're not willing to be part of the solution, why are you part of the problem that continues this? And again, I wanted to find out how long this has been going on. It's been going on since 1960. So when you're looking at that level and that failure is a, isn't a permanent state of mind, it's very hard for those of us who are wanting to succeed when you're constantly bombarded by messages of failure. And that's what we want to talk about today because, again, we're going to, when we come back from break, we're going to be talking to our guest, Linda Patton, to be able to share these experiences, particularly from women. She has a background that she works with women. She's a former military leader, author, et cetera, that she's going to be sharing with us some of these things that how do we lead by example? Because at the end of the day, our reputation, that's what's in our control. And I don't believe anyone who has to stoop so low to negative advertising to make themselves look better by making someone else look worse. These are not examples of quality leadership. And I think quite 
frankly, I work with a lot of international students and a lot of international colleagues, and it's an embarrassment. The problem is it works. And people will show that if you run a clean campaign, you have a lower probability of winning. How sad is that? And so, again, this is Dr. Cheryl Lentz. You're listening to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C. I am the academic entrepreneur. I am looking forward to welcoming you to our show today. We have some interesting tidbits open for discussion by Linda Patton and to talk about these ideas of leadership and what that means for our success as well as your and failure because we don't want failure to be an outcome. Remember Dr. Aaron Glassman, failure isn't the goal, failure isn't the outcome, failure just kind of happens when we're along the way. So I want you to think very carefully and listen very astutely to the lessons that Linda is going to share with us today so that you can decide what kind of leader you want to be and how you're going to translate your failure stories into success. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. C, and we'll be right back after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Congratulations on obtaining your doctorate degree and your first university faculty position. Well done. The university expects you to publish and you don't know where to begin. Contact the Refractive Thinker Team, the premier academic publishing house, where discriminating scholars publish with purpose. To learn more about the 16-time award-winning series just for doctoral scholars, contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 or visit the website refractivethinker.com. That's refractivethinker.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Are you a graduate or doctoral student pursuing your master's or doctorate degree? Do you continue to struggle with your writing to meet university expectations? Hire an award-winning editing and coaching team to help you earn that degree faster. We provide individualized programs to meet your unique needs. Graduation awaits. Call us to make your appointment today. The first call is free. Contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 or at refractivethinker.com. That's refractivethinker.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're tuned in to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. To reach Dr. C or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl Lentz at gmail.com. Now, back to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. Here's Dr. C. And we're back. Well, there is a perfect segue into our 
Introducing our next guest, because I heard something on the news this morning based on election results that 95 more women are heading into public service, be it congressional houses or Senate houses or state and federal Senates, depending on what seats there are, but 95 more women. And that is unprecedented numbers ever in history. Now, the question we want to look at is wanting to make sure of leadership and leadership by women. And that's what Linda Patton is going to tell us a little bit about because of expertise. So let's welcome Linda Patton to the show. Hello, Linda. Well, thank you, Cheryl. It's really great to be here. And it's an honor for me to be on your show and to talk about leadership and where it's going. Particularly with the, you know, the day after such an important election. But there are a few things that I want to talk about, and we'll get there in just a moment. But let our listeners get to know you just a little bit. Uh, give us a little bit of a short version of your bio, if you will, and tell us your expertise. Okay. Well, I've been working uh, in leadership for 40 years. I started when I was two. And uh, what I found is that, okay, I was in the military, so I followed the male model of leadership. We'll talk about that. Um, then I, when I got out, I went into corporate. I was a vice president at a couple of different banks. And again, the model is more the male model than, the, than a feminine model as to how you lead and, and the types of things that you do. And it really wasn't until um, I went into entrepreneurship and started my own business. And for the last 32 years, I've been, you know, working with uh, associations. I've been working with conferences and conventions. And then I, I really got ticked off about women leaders and the fact that they're, you know, only 10 to 19 percent of the C-class jobs. So, you know, CEO, CFO, COO, CLO, whatever you you call them, and and boards of directors had women on them. And I know that that's changing because I, I believe that there's uh, a proposition or whatever here that they have to have at least one woman on their board of directors now, um, which I think is interesting. So you have the token woman. But why so few? And when they do put a whole bunch of women on their board of directors, oftentimes they don't stay. And so I was really curious about that, and I really wanted to look at why are women reluctant to step into leadership? And it was really also my journey in the fact that I didn't see myself as a leader. I, you know, I led a four-star general around. Um, I was a VP. I, you know, I had people that I, quote, led, but I thought I was just doing my job. And it wasn't until somebody in a workshop said to me, I thought you'd lead us in this exercise. It's what I expect of you that I had to really step back and look at, you know, who am I? Why was I reluctant? Why did I not let this just flow out? And how could I help other women do that? And that's where my practices come from. I love that because the question that I have always had, and I'll share some personal stories here, is when we have those 95 women, the question is, are we voting for someone because they're a woman or because they're a woman who's the most qualified for the job? I don't want to go the other spectrum in the fact that we voted for a man because he was felt to be by virtue of masculine leadership, as you say, the male model that's been the law of primacy, it came first, versus yep. the woman that's coming along. Different doesn't necessarily mean better or worse, it just means different. So those 95 women that are now going to the various um, public servant opportunities, are they the best candidates of the job or do people just vote for them because they were a woman? 
And therein lies this challenge because I personally would like to see gender taken out of the equation. Leadership should be gender neutral. Leadership is an action, not a gender. Yes, there's masculine. Yes, there's feminine. But the question is, these are traits, not gender. And there's a difference. And one day I would like to be able to say we just have the right leader in the right job at the right time, independent of demographic factors that are behind them. I think that's so true, Dr. Cheryl, that um, oftentimes you know, we, we rebound. So we weren't happy with what happened with the general election two years ago and who ended up in office. And we know that if we control the House and or the Senate, that we can make change in the types of legislation that comes up and the things that are approved and, and that kind of thing. And, and in some respects, um, taking the teeth out of the um, executive branch of the government. So, you know, did we did we vote for the women because they were the best candidate? In a lot of cases, there were two women running against each other. Exactly. So okay, there, yeah. So there, it's more likely. It may be more likely that you choose the one that best serves. Um, I think that there were women who were elected because they were women or because they were Democrats, and we felt that we needed that shift in the government in order to make a shift in the types of stuff that was coming out, the laws that are coming out, the legislation, the, p- the bills, that kind of thing. And so we, we did. What I find uh, amazing, and there's a, a group here, and I believe it's uh, nationwide, called Emerge, and their job is to train women how to run a, a campaign and how to win an election. And when I had um, the director here in California on my show, um, she said that they've had more applications for their program than ever in their history, that there are more women willing and wanting to run and to be that best candidate than ever before. So we're seeing a shift in that leadership and that desire to make a change in the world. And I think that is amazing because here's where I have many of my doctoral students who like to do research on women. And the the one assumption that's faulty in their reasoning is they assume that the world isn't willing to put someone in that position who is a woman. What they fail to sometimes realize is that it takes a while to grow an executive. Anyone that's got that CIO, EIO type of seat at the table needs time to grow. You're not going to go tomorrow and go to the temporaries and say, hey, I'd like three women leaders and put them in you know, the slots tomorrow, <laughs> particularly at the executive or the general, right? We finally had a, mm-hmm. a general who is a woman who is promoted because she had enough time in service and enough time in experience because women were never allowed in combat. In order to get promoted to those levels, you needed to have combat time. And because you didn't have combat time, a woman couldn't be promoted. So it wasn't that there wasn't a need for women. They didn't have enough time to grow them to get to that leader. Now we're getting to that seat at the table because they are starting they started from the ranks 20 and 30 years ago it is now time because they now have the same qualifications or equivalent that their male counterparts did so a lot of this was time that we needed to grow them to that level not simply because it's gender and so i want to give people time to try not to have that issues that it's just women weren't here we didn't have enough time to be here in order to get here (laughs) exactly but i am good i'm going to um dispute what you say about women generals. When we still had a women's army corps, we had women generals, and we were not in combat. I mean, we were in combat in administrative roles or in nursing roles, but we were not in combat actually on the front lines and that kind of thing. But we did have women generals back when I was in the service, which was um, the early 70s. So they were there. 
and, and it was time in grade that got them there, not the fact that they were in combat. So it's, Ah, it's that's interesting that, because yeah. different, different perceptions in there, and we want to be able to put that. So we want to have those faces of women, but we want to have them equal. I don't want to see the pendulum go too far the other direction that now the men are thinking, going, well, they don't have a seat anymore at the table. There has to be a balance that I'd like to have the right person for the right job with the right experience and not have these demographic factors get in the way. And I wonder if we'll ever find a time where we can truly do that. What do you think? Um, I think it might, might come to pass. Um, maybe not in our lifetime, but uh, it, it's amazing how fast the speed of change works with the speed of trust. So the more mm. we trust the women who are coming up and the fact that they can step into those positions, that they have the right to be at the table, I think the more we'll see them there and we'll begin to see some parity between men and women and, you know, where you want to go, and I do too, which is who's the best candidate, who's the best person for this job. And part of that is us stepping, us as women stepping in and saying, I want that job. I want to be at that table. I want to take that key role. Because that's what, that's also one of our challenges as women. We don't step into it. We wait for we wait to be noticed, to be seen, to have someone recognize the fact that we want that job and that we're qualified for it. And that's a detriment to us stepping in those positions as well. We have to step into it. Well, you asked something very important, listeners, and I want you to key in on this: is the why do women have reluctance? And I'll share with you my story why I do is I had had my first senior VP position, and I thought I had earned it, and I would have liked to have thought that because of everything that came before it that I earned it. However, some of my colleagues, or one in particular, made a comment of, hey, we've got the the bigwigs coming in, and we'd like you to wear that little back dress. And I had been a former Uh model. And that one comment, and I would like to think and give him the benefit of the doubt that he was simply a poorly worded compliment But from that day forward for several years, it shook my confidence, always wondering, did I get this job because I looked good in that little black dress and they wanted to show me off as eye candy as that token female at the table because I was the only one at the time? And from that point forward for about two years, I questioned my ability, like you said, how did I get that seat at the table? And some would say, well, as long as you're there, Cheryl, that was the goal. I was there, I was represented, but how I earned it was important to me. And the perception of how I earned it was important to me. And I never thought anything about it until that one offhanded remark that was 20 years ago, Linda, more than 20 <laughs> years ago. And I still wonder of how did I get here? Why did I get here? And it's important that I knew the answer to that question. It took me years to develop my confidence again to be able to see that, yeah, it is my skills and I do want that job because it made me feel bad and it challenged my self-esteem for years. So we're going to come back after break and I want to continue this conversation because that idea is if we are going to be reluctant and we let the culture or what happens to us dictate it, for several years I stay out of the fight and I didn't want my voice at the table because I wasn't made a Teflon and it hurt. So we will come back after break, and we're going to talk about exactly this, because more women, we're simply another tool in the toolbox, and we want to make sure we use the most effective tool for the most effective outcome. And we're going to talk about why women sometimes question whether or not they are that most effective tool. So stay right back. You're listening to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C, and we have our guest, Linda Patton, and we'll be back with her right after these few messages from our sponsors. (music) 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you a graduate or doctoral student pursuing your master's or doctorate degree? Do you continue to struggle with your writing to meet university expectations? Hire an award-winning editing and coaching team to help you earn that degree faster. We provide individualized programs to meet your unique needs. Graduation awaits. Call us to make your appointment today. The first call is free. Contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 or at refractivethinker.com. That's refractivethinker.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Congratulations on obtaining your doctorate degree and your first university faculty position. Well done. The university expects you to publish, and you don't know where to begin. Contact the Refractive Thinker Team, the premier academic publishing house, where discriminating scholars publish with purpose. To learn more about the 16-time award-winning series just for doctoral scholars, contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 or visit the website refractivethinker.com. That's refractivethinker.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're tuned in to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. To reach Dr. C or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl Lentz at gmail.com. Now, back to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. Here's Dr. C. And we're back. I am Dr. C. My friends call me Cheryl Lentz. We are talking with Linda Patton. And the interesting thing that we've been talking for quite some time is looking at the idea and how comments affect women. I remember teaching a class once. and It was very funny because it was an all-male class, which really doesn't happen very much in the, uh, very often. And I remember my students asking, it's like, Dr. C, can we just ask you something? I'm like, all right, here it comes, right? And he says, I've never worked for a woman before. I don't know what to expect as if somehow that women had seven horns, you know, they looked differently, you had to treat them differently. But there was a group of men, they were undergraduate students, and they had never worked for a woman before. And so I canceled what I was planning to do that class, and we just sat and had a bull bull session with them. And it was probably the most important hour or so of their life because they could finally talk one-on-one. I sat right down next to them, put us in a circle, and we just talked for the rest of the night about what it was like to work with and for a woman as if somehow we were an anomaly. But in their world, we were. So, Linda, I want to ask you is how do the role models women see in leadership affect their desire to become a leader? Because at that moment for my students, I was the only female leader they'd ever seen, let alone talk to, as if we were somehow aliens with seven horns on our heads or something. Well, it's... It's it's interesting, um, Cheryl, that that um, n- neither the women nor the men know what to do with a woman leader in a lot of cases. 
um, it, it was you know, obviously a lot easier in the Women's Army Corps because all of my seniors were women when, when I was on that particular post. It was more interesting when you, you, know, you were in a post that was primarily men. But I think what, what challenges women oftentimes is the fact that uh, they'll say to me, I don't want to be that leader. And I go, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't want the one that, I don't want to be the one that the B word gets spoken about, mm-hmm. about her. Um, that she's taken on that, that sort of masculine, competitive, greed, um, telling, um, commanding kind of persona. Because that's not what we expect of, of a woman in any kind of position. There's an expectation that there is a feminine side to what they bring to the leadership table. They bring creativity. They bring collaboration. They bring empathy. They bring compassion. They bring relationships. They want to know about you. They ask questions. They want to know what you, you want. What's your vision? Where are you going? And how can I align that with the vision of the organization or of the leader or whatever? And we're never sure what we're going to get with a new leader. You know, are we going to get someone who's trying to emulate the masculine side? And I'm, I'm going to hate her because she doesn't care about me. All she cares about is the bottom line. Or am I going to get the leader who's over-emotional? And I can't relate to that either. How can I find that leader that blends the two, that brings organization, structure, strategy, um, a bit of competition, along with the feminine qualities and really marries those two into a very powerful leader. That's the challenge and that's the hesitation that people have with working for a female uh, leader. Absolutely. And I try to teach my students that you have to think like a carpenter. A carpenter has lots of tools in their toolbox. And the point is to use the most effective tool for the most effective outcome. Instead, many of us think that if all we have is a hammer, coincidentally, everything looks like a nail. So the question would be, is instead of having masculine or feminine qualities, remove them and make them descriptive policies. Because even an authoritarian type of leadership is appropriate in some situations, particularly in a crisis, particularly when time is not in your side, particularly when there needs to be a very clear-cut chain of command, which is typically why it's associated with masculine in the military. But even a woman can be authoritarian without writing a broomstick and without oh, having okay. to have that B word come out. It's just using the most effective tool. I mean, how many of us use the, you know, the back of our shoe to hammer a nail into the wall? But the point is, is we don't want that hole in the wall. We want the picture on the wall that the nail is there for it. So it's a process. Why do we have to have a either or male or female to get the job done when you're looking at from an outcome going, if we need and time is short, then authoritarian is going to be the best leadership strategy to use independent of gender, and I want to get to that point. Yeah, and I think that's so true. You know, you look at the, I came out of the military, so my role models were, for the most part, male, um, and the women took on that quality because that's what they had to do in order to survive in, in the military. But the reason that they do it is because on the battlefield, or if you look at SWAT, um, when they're going into an operation, or the fire department, if they're going into a fire, they don't want people to argue with them about, well, which way are we going to go? It's like, no, you're going to follow me. Go this way. Uh, I remember having, General, no, remember General yeah. Schwarzkopf's deal. It's like, we are here to preserve democracy, not practice it. I love that comment. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and so 
what I find interesting is in new TV shows for SWAT, for SEAL Team, whatever they are, they show that um, pre pre-launch kind of thing where they're they're actually standing around and they're talking about the operation and they're they're getting a lot of feedback from everybody as far as well where do you think we ought to go what's next so they're getting all of that discussion all of that asking in that kind of a meeting but once they get on the ground there's no no question this is what we're going to do and they it has to be that way because if you make instantaneous decisions oftentimes in the field, it can be detrimental to the people in the team. And you don't want exactly that. independent of gender. So that's why I'm suggesting why yeah. do we look at it's a it's okay if men use this technique and it's okay and it's not okay if women. It doesn't matter of gender. It looks at the situation. That's what contingency leadership is and what situational leadership is, is to take an assessment of what is the most effective tool that we can use for the most effective outcome. And then you go to your toolbox and you go to right. that and you look at what might there and not look at this as a gender issue. But unfortunately, we are at the time that people look at that. And I know women who think they have to act like a man in a man's world and, st- and no different. And to be fair, I had a student call me on this, and they're absolutely correct. In a female-dominated culture, like in the nursing world once upon a time, and it's changing, that you would have the exact opposite, but the same quality is the fact that you would have the female dominance and the men feel out of place because it's a female world. The question is, why can't we play in one world and look at it? But these are cultures, and it's called the law of primacy. What was yeah. first becomes the yardstick for which everything else that has come after has been evaluated. And now we have to break that yardstick and say it is what it is regardless of where we came from. And we're not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember and this is going way back in Diane Feinstein's career when she was you know, on the, on the Board of Supervisors and she took the chair role. Well, she felt that she had to dress like a man and still be a woman. So I, I remember very clearly, you know, being in corporate, and all of a sudden we all had to wear ties, and it could be, you know, a regular masculine tie, it could be a bow tie, it could be a tie on a on a shirt. But we all stepped into that with her, um, and she felt that that's something that she had to emulate in order to be respected by the men on the board of supervisors. And so it's and it's very interesting that we've, you know, we've moved away from that. We don't need to, you know, dress, you know be a, a woman in a man's suit, we can wear a skirt, we can wear a dress, we can wear pants, we don't have to wear a tie, uh, we don't have to be in a structured suit, although it's interesting, Lucy Lewis picked up the structured suit in elementary this year, which I thought was kind of interesting, because that's not how I see her in that particular role. So we're, we're seeing some shifts and some relaxation in how we show up as women, and we're, we're being... I almost want to say given permission, or we've gotten to a place where we, we have the authority and the experience to be able to say, I'll wear what I bloody well please, and <laughs> you'll accept me as who I am, what I bring to the table, the experience that I have, the role that I have, and I don't have to prove anything to you other than the fact that I'm an effective leader. And that's ideal. I think that's amazing. To go through that, how we look is that perception of how people will think of us and what we can do. And the fact that they will see certain things first and see that gender and see how we dress. And like you said, how we show up. But the challenge begins is, is the message favorably received based on the messenger? 
And my point is this, is I remember when we were looking at Condoleezza Rice and she was this, you know, obviously the Secretary of State going into the Middle East, simply by nature that she was a female, she wasn't listened to, even though the message was flawless because she was the messenger. And I can only imagine that conversation when they were trying to decide, do we send her or do we not? Do we send her because she is the Secretary of State and I'm not going to send a substitute who's a man because of where she's going in the Middle East. But the fact is, is her message wasn't as effective because she, as a gender, was not um, respected because of where she was going. And so now when we go back to your original question is, why are women so reluctant? It's because it takes sometimes an act of Congress for us to be respected, even though the message is sound, even if it's the same message that would come out of a man because a woman's delivering it, the perception is different. And someday we will get to, but it's the same thing as a parent, right? If I, you know, if the parents say something that I have said in the school as a teacher, suddenly I as a teacher become gospel truth and the parent simply becomes the parent. So who we get our messages from is leadership, because your parents are your leaders as well, affects the reception of that message because of the messenger, and that is such a frustrating as- aspect, you know? It is, and uh, on top of that, we, we as women have cultural and her- heredity issues. Um, you know, we're told as a young girl by, by our moms, you know, you have to be perfect. You have to know 100% of the job before you take it. You never step up and say, I want that. You wait for somebody to notice you and to select you. And, you know, you're supposed to be in the background. You're supposed to be behind the curtain. You're supposed to be supporting the man in your life. And we take those into our, our work life. We take it into our personal life. And, and so stepping into leadership, it's like, well, I've got to know 100% of it. This is another reason why women don't necessarily step into um, government and why I was so proud to see so many who, who did is we want to know 100% of the issues before we step in. Well, you can't because the issues change constantly. Um, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. And we're so afraid that if we make a mistake, it'll ruin somebody's life. And I love I loved to say to the women that I work with, I'm sorry, are you married? Did your officiant give you a manual that said this is how you run your marriage? If so, how come our divorce rate is so high? Second, do you have kids? Did your obstetrician give you a manual that said this is how you raise your children? I mean, Dr. Spock tried in the 50s to give us that manual. Um, didn't work. But we get to a place of our, we make mistakes with our children. It's a question of you don't make the mistake again. You learn from it. It's, it's like what you're talking about is failing. I think women, to be honest with you, are not afraid of failing. They're afraid of success because they don't necessarily know what to do with it. And we are going to have to leave it there as we bring this segment to a close. Linda, I want to make sure that our listeners can get in touch with you. Give us your contact information, social media, phone numbers, et cetera, so they can continue the conversation as we move forward. Ooh, okay. Um, phone number, they can call me at 925-954-3239. You can send me an email at linda at dare, the number 2 leadwithlinda.com. Um, I'm on Facebook also at dare, the number two, leadwithlinda.com. Um, you can also pick me up on Twitter at Patton underscore Linda. Um, LinkedIn, Linda Patton, all one word. I also have a YouTube channel, which again is Linda Patton, all one word. Um, and Pinterest is actually Linda Patton, all one word, 311. 
So all sorts of different ways to reach me, and I would love to hear from you um, to continue this discussion. Thank you. Terrific. Well, we're thrilled that you could join us today. Again, our guest has been Linda Patton. You'll stay with us as we show as we bring the show to a close. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsor. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Congratulations on obtaining your doctorate degree and your first university faculty position. Well done. The university expects you to publish, and you don't know where to begin. Contact the Refractive Thinker Team, the premier academic publishing house, where discriminating scholars publish with purpose. To learn more about the 16-time award-winning series just for doctoral scholars, contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 or visit the website refractivethinker.com. That's refractivethinker.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Are you a graduate or doctoral student pursuing your master's or doctorate degree? Do you continue to struggle with your writing to meet university expectations? Hire an award-winning editing and coaching team to help you earn that degree faster. We provide individualized programs to meet your unique needs. Graduation awaits. Call us to make your appointment today. The first call is free. Contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 or at refractivethinker.com. That's refractivethinker.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're tuned in to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. To reach Dr. C or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl Lentz at gmail.com. Now, back to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. Here's Dr. C. And we're back. Thank you so much to our guest, Linda Patton, who is talking to us about the hesitancy and why so many women are reluctant to take on a leadership role. And it's exciting to see the new entrance of women into the role of politics on the eve of the, or the after, the day after the night before for the election. Because we want to look at the idea, if a duck is a duck is a duck, if it walks like a duck, it talks to a duck, it's a duck. I don't know why we look at gender as such a different version of the duck. If somebody is looking to lead why is gender so important? Now, I understand the law of primacy. Women haven't been in that role, so many are not as comfortable. But the idea is there isn't blue for boys and pink for girls in terms of leadership. Leadership are specific types of techniques, and there are more than 65 of them, as my students will attest to. And our goal is to think like that carpenter. Use the most effective tool 
and the most effective outcome and to make sure that we're going to be situationally responsible for the followers, followers that we have so we lead by example. But the challenge has been changing that paradigm that somehow if a woman is leading, she's leading from her heartstrings, she's leading from her emotions, she's going to ride a broomstick, she's going to be different and fear is about difference. And one day I would very much like to see us look at the idea of the most effective person for the most effective job independent of gender. Sometimes a woman's going to have to be that authoritarian when there isn't time for discussion. There is a reason for the chain of command. It could save your life. Shut up in color, essentially. But then there are times when discussion is important. When we do have the ability to have a higher buy-in, that there are certain effective tools that we would use for task versus relationship, depending on reward systems and motivation. And there is the time to be able to look at those in positions as followers to incorporate, to integrate, to ask their opinions, trust factor, as Linda indicated. We want to have all those tools at our disposal, but I want to hesitate that when a woman is an author authoritarian, suddenly that B word comes out. When a man is emotional, suddenly the the effeminate word comes out as if somehow emotions are weakness. Emotions are what emotions are, how we manage them, how we demonstrate them, how we utilize them and integrate them. We can't decide we're suddenly not human. We cannot decide that we are anything but which that we are. The question is, how do we show up? How are we going to use those tools? When someone dies, does that mean we become a robot? And we don't display an emotion because that would be a sign of a weakness? Or do we have too much an emotion that's the other side of weakness? Where is that balance? Where is that appropriate tool for the appropriate outcome, for the most effective outcome? I used to think that people didn't were absent the day they taught leadership because many degrees with the I love me walls that you can see behind me and others, leadership is an effective class that is taught in schools, that's foundational, whether it's an undergrad or doctorate. So if we go to so many schools to learn about leadership, then why is there such poor leadership that abounds around us? And I learned years ago that it's not that we have an absence of leadership or an absence of knowledge. We can identify the leadership styles. We just don't know how to effectively implement them. We don't necessarily have a situational awareness or enough experience, perhaps, to know that in this situation, here's the most effective way forward because of our limited experience, because of the culture, because of the dynamics, because of a lot of reasons. And I want us to stop apologizing for those reasons, but to embrace them and to say, you know what, we're not going to get it right 100% of the time, but we have to stop being afraid of making mistakes in order to have a voice at the table. I will tell you there are times that I am reluctant because I'm worried about how my leadership style is going to be impacted, how my students might react, because if they react pat poorly, I might not get continue to keep my teaching job if a politician doesn't react well enough to their constituents be it a popularity contest or a negative ad campaign they won't be elected and so they won't have the ability to have that voice at the table so are we really machiavellian does it matter for us to be able to say any means to which to get to elected suddenly we demonstrate poor leadership in getting elected but once we're there we're going to do something different my students often say, well, you know, I just, when I get to be a leader, things will be different. No, you are leading from where you are. Leading and leadership is an action verb, not a title. It's something we do. It's something who we are. And when we're too afraid to fail because we are worried about what our followers might think, 
therein lies the challenge. And we need to have more success stories that failure isn't a state of mind. Failure is simply a temporary existence of, all right, well, we didn't get it right this time. We'll try it again next time to get a more effective outcome. But we're not going to please everyone 100% of the time. So it's much more of a utilitarianist type of experience, the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people. So I hope that you took away from our talk today and that you'll continue to shape the conversation on our social media aspects and our websites and giving us a, a call here at the station. Remember, all of our uh, episodes are archived. You can listen to us on iTunes. You can catch us on Facebook, Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. You can catch my email, Lentz at gmail.com. Be part of that conversation. Have your voice heard. Offer us the ability to have your input because it's important, it's valuable, it's needed, and you can't be afraid of failure and what other people are going to think about you when you offer that. Your opinion is still valuable, independent of the outcome. And I want to, sometimes how we say something is just important as what we say, but we have to stop worrying about the messenger and concentrate on the message, concentrate on the tool, concentrate on the outcome. So I want us to thank our guest, Linda Patton, for joining us today. My name is Dr. Cheryl Lentz. I'm known as the Academic Entrepreneur, and I want to help you learn to fail faster, succeed sooner. Whether you're a woman, whether you're a man, whatever role that you have, leadership is a verb, not a noun. We want to help you get better and get more experienced and become more effective. But leadership, we're a work in progress. And I want you to be patient with yourself as you work forward through defining these skills, mastering these skills, and being able to show up with these skills when that invitation arrives and to stand up and be counted. It is something that we as women need to be able to be part of the conversation to see if what we offer might be a more effective way forward. But it isn't the only way. And I don't want gender to be the reason that we are either elected or not elected. We want to know that we're the best and most effective person that we can be to have a seat at that table, to be able to have our voices heard and have the outcomes be more effective than the direction they might currently be. So I want to congratulate all of the winners, um, all of the women who had the courage to run regardless of the outcome of the election, because that is changing the landscape that's giving more of us the courage to do things differently, to stand up, to be part of that conversation, and to have our voices heard. So thank you for joining us each and every week. Definitely join us on Facebook. We have some free gifts for you if you do. We want to be able to have your suggestions for people that you might like to be able to see on the show, to have the topic so that we can help you be less afraid of failure and to be more in tune with the gifts that failure can offer us. So thank you so much for joining us. Come back every Thursday. And see us at noon Central Standard Time. Go look at our websites. And remember, that voice that needs to be at the table is yours. Believe in yourself the way we do. Thank you so much for joining us again. I'm Dr. C. I'm the Academic Entrepreneur. And we'll see you next week. Have a good one. Bye now. Thank you for joining us this week for Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C, the academic entrepreneur. Dr. Cheryl Lentz invites you to listen again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It's time for you to find your success. We'll talk again next week.